Are we ready? We're going to get into the third week of this series on the book of Revelation. And I must admit, I'm pretty, pretty excited. It's pretty um, amazing when you start to look into the truths that are expounded in this word. So let's let's open up to Revelation chapter two. We're going to start there. The last two weeks, Brahm's gone through chapter one. So today we're going to be looking just at the very start. We're going to begin to look at the start of chapter two. So before we do that, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I need your anointing. I need your spirit. I need your wisdom and I need your grace. Lord, I pray, Father, that even as I speak, that you would give me wisdom and insight, Lord. I'm going to do the best that I can, Lord. But in the end, I'm asking you, Father, to help us to hear what you're saying to all of us, myself included. Lord, we, we, we thank you, Lord, that we are blessed because we are even reading this book, like your word says. Um, but Lord, today I pray for, for revelation to come even to our, into our own hearts and help us to grow today because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's start. We're going to read from uh, verse 1 to, through to verse 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This is a, a great commendation here. <clears throat> but then in verse 4, he says this, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Another version says you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right. So as we venture into the understanding of what is being said here and what is being discussed, let's keep in mind as a framework the purpose of these letters that we're about to start reading over these next few weeks. Basically, as Brahm has been explaining to us, there's going to be a showdown between the state or that, the, the, the Roman Empire, basically, in all its might and the church in all its fragility. And this is where later on you'll be, we'll be talking about the beast and 666 and all of that uh, sort of uh, uh, writing and all those pictures and those things that are described to us. That's where that all comes in. But we're going to discuss all of that later. So basically, there's this huge battle that is looming. And so Jesus is setting things up for the churches here supernaturally. He's basically saying, this is what is coming. Things were escalating in that region. There's lots of uh, external pressure was about to come because there was about to be this whole surge of emperor worship. And historically, and I know that Brahm has already said this, I'm just recapping a few things that Brahm has said. So let's continue to remember the framework of, of why we're reading this and what's actually being spoken to these people at that time. But historically, the Christian community was the only community that would not succumb to these kind of edicts and these kind of, kind of demands, which was to bow down and worship the emperor. 
And in fact, the Christians were known as the most defiant kind of people. They would say, well, we'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's, just like Jesus taught them. But don't give, we won't give to Caesar what is God's, which of course is worship. So there was a huge clash with authority looming. Okay, so let's, let's understand that's the picture that is about to happen. So in Jesus' mind, as he was overviewing and, and watching over his church, he could see that the churches in that region really needed to be strengthened. As Brahm said, get their act together. He could see the weaknesses within the churches. So it's not what's happened in the world. I love how Brahm put this. It's not what happens in the world out there externally, but what happens in the church and what is tolerated in the church that will destroy the church. That is the undoing of any church. Okay, so let's remember that. It's a good point to write down. It's not what happens in the world, but what happens in the church and what is tolerated in the church that will destroy the church. And that is the undoing of any church. So in every letter, he was addressing, remember there are seven letters to seven different churches. He was addressing internal issues, not external. The external was going to happen regardless. His focus was on his people, on his church, on his body. And he was highlighting the areas that would let them down under pressure. Because at the end of every letter, I love this, there was an invitation. So he was highlighting those things for a reason. Because at the end of every letter, there was also an invitation to walk in ultimate victory. So he was preparing them all for this incredible victory. Because you know what, guys, that's who we are meant to be. That is who the church is meant to be. We are meant to be more than conquerors. We are meant to be victors. We are meant to be ones who are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all dominion, or every name that can be named. We are meant to be the church through whom the manifold wisdom of God is made manifest to powers and principalities. This is who the church is. This is our identity as a people. And so, you know, he's, he's basically saying, I want you to walk into victory. I'm inviting you in to victory. And so he's preparing them for this. And when I think about that, well, what a gift. What an incredible gift. Here's the head of the church speaking to his body supernaturally to protect them. See, this is, this is the Jesus that we serve. He's the head of of the church. He's been given the church. He's the one who coordinates us as the church here on earth. You see, Jesus is watching. And we, we see this as we begin to read through, you realize he is passionate. He is detailed in his oversight. He knows everything that's going on. He's walking amongst us. And he was walking amongst them. That's what he was saying. In fact, we read that earlier. He's the one who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. So he's walking amongst them and it's no different now. He's just as observant. He warns to us. <clears throat> Sorry, he warns us and he speaks to us. And that's why one of the most precious things that we have is the ability to hear what God is saying to us supernaturally. Just like those churches through John. So... This scene is being set. You know, here's Jesus speaking to John. He's taken the time. He loves his people and he loves his church so much. And he has such a higher purpose for the church here on earth that he puts John away, gives him a, a vision and allows him to understand and to see futuristically what's coming. 
You know, when we look at nowadays, what's so sad is that uh, even though that's how it's meant to be, basically people nowadays are trying to figure out, you know, we're doing this so much in our own, in our own strength. We're figuring how to construct. You know, there are so many conferences and, and they're, they're all great. There are all sorts of webinars out there and teaching modules and all sorts of things on how to construct churches. There's all sorts of teaching on then how to deconstruct churches. Then there's how to reconstruct churches and how lots of people obstruct churches. And in the end, ultimately, they seem to self-destruct in churches. <laughs> but you know what? All we need is his leadership. And I think as we begin to look at the principles that are flowing through these letters, we're going to see all we need is his leadership and to listen with great humility to how he instructs us. You know, do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? You see, this is the role of the prophetic, not about being weird and out there and loopy with with prophetic stuff. No, it's hearing what God is saying to us, to the leadership, to the government of the church here on earth. You know, the, the prophetic is so powerful. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to men. Why? For edification, which builds us up and it strengthens us. And exhortation, which spurs us on. And consolation, which brings comfort. So this is why Jesus is, is allowing John to operate in this prophetic gift so that the churches will be built up, they'll be strengthened, they'll be spurred on and encouraged and exhorted. And they'll be comforted and they'll be led. And that's the role of Jesus to the church. It's amazing. So let's look again at the intended or original audience of all these letters. Well, there were basically seven specific churches in Asia. And we read about that in, in chapter 1 verse 4. But I, I want to be clear on this because I think we need to dispel so much wrong thinking and erroneous thinking around the book of Revelation it could have been any one of the churches in the Roman Empire, to be perfectly honest, because Jesus could have found things wrong with any of the many churches that were spread around that entire empire. You just have to follow Paul's first, second and third missionary journeys and look on a map of the ancient world and what it used to look like in those times in the multitude of cities and towns and places that they went to, that he went to with people that he, he took along with him to be able to minister. There were many little places that had great churches and all of these churches would have had something wrong with them. They all had something that they were struggling with. with. So this wasn't some horrible rebuke specifically to them because they were so evil. I think we can take those, those stories of the different churches and, uh, and, and elevate them and escalate them to something that was really probably never really intended for us here now in, in uh, 2021, in the 21st century. You know, yes, there were some pretty bad things going on in a few of them, and we'll see that as we read. But, you know, Jesus is always patient and gives room for all of us as churches to grow. So this then, when we look at these letters, this was actually incredibly purposeful. He was preparing them for a battle, basically. And so they needed to be spoken to. Remember, you've got to understand what's the context, the purpose of the letters. The purpose gives us the, that flows on to why they were the ones to receive these letters. It's because there's a battle looming. There's, there's, uh, there's going to be the surge of emperor worship, which is going to threaten the existence of the church, not externally, but if you don't get your act together, if you don't sharpen up in these areas that I'm going to help you in, 
you're going to collapse. You're going to fade away. You won't exist. You will. You won't last as, as as a, as a light in the world. All right, because there was this impending calamity that was about to explode externally upon the churches in that specific region. In fact, when you look at all these churches, they're all in this one particular area of what was then called Asia, which is um, yeah no longer is Asia now, but that's what it was back then. So they were the ones closest to the epicenter of where the emperor worship was happening. In fact, at the time of the writing of Revelation, Ephesus was actually the place that was the center for this particular cult. So out of the whole uh, region, Ephesus was the center of that cult of emperor worship. So no wonder Jesus spoke to Ephesus first and kind of gave the overview. So there was something brewing and Jesus needed to warn them, okay? So Jesus was warning them of the loopholes within their individual churches. You notice he's not warning them of the cult worship that is coming. He's not warning them how to pray against things and how to tear down this and to do that. He's not giving them strategies to keep the enemy at bay. He's not saying you've got to do this. and you've got. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's warning of the loopholes within their own individual churches that would ultimately let them down. And not only that, but he was inviting them into a position to be able to overcome. That's what's so incredible. So in other words, he was being the ultimate coach. All right. Now, remember, Brahms told us that there are two major themes in this book. The first theme, which I just think is incredible, is not only is it a revelation from Jesus, but incorporated in that revelation from Jesus, which we're just talking about what that revelation is, but incorporated in that is actually the revelation of who Jesus is. So it's both a revelation from Jesus, but also a revelation of Jesus. And the second theme is the triumph of the church. Now, we all have to have the right perspective of who Jesus is. And it's incredible, you know, as as Brahm highlighted to us last week, Daniel, John, the book of Daniel, John now, and Ezekiel, Daniel and Ezekiel being Old Testament prophets, all had dramatic experiences of the Son of Man when they were in exile. And this revelation of Jesus, who is the Son of Man, seems to come at difficult times. So these guys were all in exile. They're all, all going through very difficult seasons as, as, um, as the people of God and representing the people of God at that time. So the message is really clear here. In difficult times, our only guarantee for survival is having the right perspective of who Jesus is. Okay? And I love how Brahm framed it. He said, we can't see Jesus in the light of our circumstances. Rather, we must see our circumstances in the light of who Jesus is. So we prioritize who he is and then we bring our our circumstances into a perspective of understanding, well, I can go through this because I know who he is. Rather than trying to fit him into our circumstances and elevating them above the revelation of Jesus. All right, so let's go back to the passage that we just read, the beginning of of chapter 2. Let's clarify the players here. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven golden lampstands are the seven literal churches. Uh, And the one who holds the seven stars and who walks among the seven golden lampstands is Jesus. I think we all realize that. 
It's interesting because when it talks about the stars being the angels, that means messengers of the church. Some scholars would consider their actual angelic beings and others would say they're actual humans, that they are the senior elders of churches because historically uh, the custom in Jewish synagogues was to have a man known as the messenger. His business was to write or be the reader of the synagogue and he was called the angel. Isn't that interesting? And of course another argument is that the government of the church here on earth is not in the hands of angels. It's been given according to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It's been given to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. That's the eldership of the church because it tells us that Jesus ascended and when he ascended, he gave gifts in the form of people as his government here on earth. So there are two sides to that argument. It could be angelic beings or it could be actual people as the government of the church here on earth. The lampstands, well, of course, we realize it's the churches. And what is the church? The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones here on earth. It's the gathered company of God. And it's God's high and heavenly calling to be his church. And of course, the church is God's lampstand in a city. I love that. I love that picture. And the one who holds this leadership, these angels, whoever they might be in his hands, that's Jesus. But also concerning the revelation of Jesus is in the passage that we just read that Jesus is portrayed as the one who walks amongst the lampstands. So Jesus not only holds the leadership in his hands, but he's right there walking amongst the churches, immersed in their well-being. In other words, what can we learn about this? He's absolutely in control. He's in control of everything. We are safe when we are under the authority of his, the complete authority of his leadership. It's amazing because a portrayal of Jesus is elaborated on even more in the scripture that was read last week, which was in Revelations 1. And I'll just read verses 12 and 13. So Revelations 1, 12 and 13 says this, and this, this shows us a little bit more of a glimpse of this revelation of who Jesus is. So let's pause for a moment, read this and grasp an understanding. I think it's really important that we slow down because before we launch into all the practical applications of what it means for all the different churches, remember our perspective has to be correct when it comes to who Jesus is and what he's doing. So let, let's read this. <clears throat> Pardon me. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. Now, that language and description concerning the son of man is alluding to and takes us back to the imagery of the Old Testament high priest. You see, this imagery of the lampstands and of the attire of the Son of Man, which we just read about, should also take any keen Bible reader, basically, back to the Old Testament imagery of the lampstand and the high priestly clothing in the Old Testament tabernacle. It's mentioned at length in the, in the Old Testament. And I think it's really important for us to understand this was also not unfamiliar to John. So let me explain. Let's look at a little bit at the background of the vision that John is happening. It's too easy for us to race ahead and get into the, what does this mean for us now? No, let's understand what it meant 
for him then because that will give us phenomenal context for what it means for us now. It's very vital. All right? So in order for us uh, to appreciate more fully the vision of the Son of Man that John is seeing, the whole setting needs to be kept in mind. Now I'm just going to read out of a commentary. Uh, it's amazing here. So this is what I've, I've, uh, these are some notes that I've pulled together from a commentary on this that I, I think is phenomenal and that will help us explain it. The setting as John understands it from both his Hebrew background and now his Christian foundations is that the tabernacle of the Lord or the temple and the ministering uh, high priest. So the setting, this, so basically this is it. As in his understanding of both not only his Hebrew background but now his his foundation as a Christian having walked with the Lord and being on the other side of the cross is that this is basically a picture of the tabernacle of the Lord or the temple and of the ministering of the high priest so as he's going through this vision this is what he's beginning to grasp because under the old covenant the priest ministered morning and evening before the golden lampstand in the tabernacle and the role of the high priest was to trim the wicks of the lamps to take away the burnt burnt out ashes and to supply the holy oil for the lamps to burn continually before the Lord. In fact, the only purpose of the existence was to light up so that the high light up that whole area so the high priest could minister in that light. So as he did so, this priest was clothed in his priestly garments. So Aaron, Israel's first high priest, was clothed in the garments of glory and beauty as he ministered in the sanctuary of the, of the Lord. And then this particular um, guy comment, commentary uh, writer says here, Aaron had on him the breastplate of judgment and goes on to describe the, the beautiful things that, that were on his um, breastplate that was there. They all had meaning before God. And then it goes on to say, As Aaron would minister in the holy place, the sound of the pomegranate and the bells would be heard in the sanctuary because why because he's walking around the sanctuary he's actually lingering and walking around and doing everything that he needs to do ministering administering whatever it is that has been instructed by him uh, by uh, by the lord for him to carry out as the high priest so he's walking around and he could hear the sound of the pomegranate and the the bells and he ministered to the golden lampstand at the same time he ministered at the altar, the golden altar of incense. So this is this is the picture that I think is really important for us today that we really grasp. This is the setting that's before us. This is the setting that 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 John is understanding. Here John sees the Son of Man, who is now our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ standing to minister to the churches. Okay? He sees the seven golden lampstands and he sees in his mind, he understands. Here's the high priest also clothed in his garments of glory and beauty. The glory that he had with the father before the world began. It's, it's described in, in chapter one, that beauty of his perfect manhood. Here in this picture, the high priest, who is Jesus Christ, and the golden lampstand, which is the church, are brought together in a holy place scene, which is the church age. And he also walks around. He's walking around. He wants to trim the lamps of the churches. 
He wants to take away the ashes of uselessness. He wants to supply the oil of our blessed and most precious Holy Spirit so that each church can be all that he wants it to be in the city. What an incredible picture. So as John is seeing this picture in front of him, he's recognizing the overlay of what that was, how that was represented in the Old Testament tabernacle. And here's his Jesus, our Jesus, our high priest, dressed in a robe, dressed beautifully, ready to minister, walking amongst the lampstands, just as Aaron the high priest walked amongst the tabernacle, amongst all the elements of the tabernacle, cutting off the wicks, you know, filling it with oil, getting rid of the useless ash. Why? To keep that lampstand burning. What a phenomenal picture for you and I, that Jesus is walking amongst his churches. He is so present. He is so uh, overseeing everything that is absolutely going on. He is watching. Even now, he's watching the Church of Melbourne. He knows exactly what's going on. He's trimming the wicks. He's getting rid of the, the, the useless ash that's been spent. He's filling it again with oil. This is his job. This is his role to watch over. He is the head of of his church. We are his body. So let, let's remember the role of the church is the lampstand. The church is the light bearer. It has been the light bearer in this approximately 2,000 years of this era of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Since, since Jesus was uh, glorified in heaven, the church, since the Holy Spirit was given to the church, guess what? We are the light bearer here on earth. And of course, if we are the light bearers as the church, then we need the daily supply of the oil of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who supplies the oil of the Holy Spirit to allow the church's light to shine in a darkened world. And the other picture here is that it says, and uh, it talks about how in his right hand, in his right hand, he was holding the seven stars. Well, that speaks to Jesus' authority. What can we learn out of that? We can learn that he holds all ministries accountable to him. Every single ministry that represents his name, he, it's held by the authority of his right hand. He supports, he guides, he guards, he anoints. All ministry that is, is in his right hand is in the hand of Jesus. He holds us. He's leading us. He's our captain. He's the one we look to. He's our Lord. He's our King He's the, he's the ruler. He's the one who's seated far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that has been given under heaven. He's above every name that has been given. And he's the one who holds us in his authority. And we, you and I, as the church, are seated with him in those heavenly places. So he governs, he controls, he guides, and he disciplines by the power of his right hand. So... Coming back to where we began, because I, th I just think it's really powerful to start to understand what's actually happening here as Jesus, our high priest, is walking amongst the lampstands. Coming back to where we began, here we have Jesus addressing the very first of the seven churches, which is Ephesus. Remember, it's the center of this cult. And of course, there's a very serious admonishment in that. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. 
So that sounds so heavy. But don't forget, there's also an invitation there. And this is what I think our perspective of Jesus needs to change our perspective of what is being said here. This isn't some incredibly horrible indictment on the church and a rebuke. You foul people, you've done this. No, 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 no. This is Jesus coaching them. He's trimming their wicks. He's getting rid of the ash that's already burnt and he's putting oil back in them again. He says, come on, I'm coaching you in this. I want to tell you what this looks like because in the end, he says there's an invitation to allow, he's inviting them to allow that admonishment and that correction from him as the head of the church. Why? Because they are part of his functioning body. So he's inviting them into a place of victory because if you notice, if you read all seven churches, the closing remarks, regardless of any of their issues, and some of their issues are huge. Some of their issues are terrible. But it's always, he who overcomes will. So he puts the invitation out there. Come on, come on, guys. I want you to overcome. And he says, he who overcomes will. And with every church, there's something different. There's a promise that's there for every single one of them. Why? Because that's who he has called us to be here on the earth. He's called us to be the light bearers. He's called us to be the one to continually shine without fail, always being filled with the Holy Spirit. One baptism, but many infillings, continually being filled with his spirit so that we will continually shine and be a light in our culture. The culture isn't the issue. The world isn't the problem. Jesus isn't addressing the world. He's not talking about how evil the Caesar is or the the emperor is. He's not talking about how evil the sins are out there in the world. No, he's addressing the weaknesses in the church. And he's saying, come on, guys, I'm inviting you up into a place of absolute victory. Yes, I'm going to tell you what's coming. Yes, I'm going to explain all of that to you. But if you don't deal with these issues right in the core of who you are as light bearers in this city, you won't make it. And I'm going to have to remove your lampstand. Because he says, if you don't, if you don't repent and listen to what I'm saying, if you don't, if your ears don't hear what the Spirit is trying to say to you, then I'm going to have to remove you. That lampstand will no longer bear my light. You see, he can't anoint something that doesn't represent who he is and follows his direction. We have to be so submitted to who Jesus is as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And every church, all of us, Melbourne Life, Jakarta Life, we have an invitation to step up and be everything God wants us to be. Will he correct us? Of course he will. Will he trim our wicks? Wicks? Yes. He'll do it. To do it corporately as a church, it means, guess what, that it happens to us individually. And that hurts. But you know what? He never stops the oil from coming. He keeps cleaning out the ashes. Sometimes we feel like we're going through stuff and we're being trimmed and the, and the ashes are being cleaned up and we, we just don't know where we are, where our heads are at, what's going on in our circumstances. But you know what? The Bible says he disciplines those whom he loves. And that's what he's doing with these churches. He loves them. He wants them to shine. He's coaching them. He's trying to warn them of what's coming and how they need to be prepared. It's like a coach saying to a footy team, listen, you've got a huge team that you're going up against. They were the winners of last year's final, grand final. And you guys have got it, but you've got to be strong. And you've got to go with these weaknesses and those weaknesses. The only difference between that analogy and this analogy is that we are already victors and Jesus has already won the game. We just have to get with the program and listen to him. Like We can't lose. 
Guys, we can't lose when we follow him and do what he wants us to do. So there's this phenomenal invitation. And so at the end, like I said, he always says, he who overcomes will, and there are all these promises. And he always says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So guys, we have to hear. Historically, as we go along in these next few weeks, and I'm, I'm going to close now, I'm going to ask the, the music team to come back in. There'll be some cities that actually vanish completely after this, this season that they're about to walk into that have now just become archaeological digging sites. Why? Because the church in them, remember, it's the church in the city that becomes a light bearer in the city that looks after and protects the culture of the city because the church in them didn't heed and obey the voice of God. And because they didn't do that, they didn't protect these cities by continually being light in them. It's our presence in a city that keeps a city alive. And you see, that was their role and their calling as lampstands. And yet he had to remove them. How tragic, guys. How tragic. You know, next week we're going to delve into what the real issue was that Jesus saw in Ephesus. You know, now in the world, how do we apply this to nowadays? Well, now in our world, in 2021, you know, churches around the world are going haywire. <laughs> That's how we see it anyway. There are so many differing opinions and perspectives and understandings and moving away from core belief systems that the church has held for so many years. And yet, and, and it's, it's bringing a lot of confusion to the people of God. And yet Jesus' intention and invitation is to be victorious. It is to conquer. It is to be a light. It is to be a demonstration of who Jesus is. Even with all the different arguments and discussions going on, it's because people are looking for and longing for that position of victory that they know instinctively that Jesus is going to give to them. It's not a bad thing to seek for these things. But in that seeking, we have to listen to him. We have to allow him as the high priest walk amongst us. We have to allow him to trim the weeks to get rid of all that stuff we were talking about. The conclusion is very clear. The overall intention. Let's just, we're going to sing Jesus it is you, okay? Yeah. So let's just start. The overall intention, we're going to sing Jesus it is you because you know what? It is just him. He's all we need. The overall intention is Let's you and I allow him to trim some of those wicks. Let's get rid of all the useless, messy ash first in our own lives. And then as we do that in our own lives, we'll rise even as a local church. All the local churches, if we will apply this, this is what will happen. So that we will keep the light shining through the oil of the Holy Spirit. We need to be a demonstration of who He is. We need to be a refuge for the world. We need to be a church that is so glorious and beautiful and so full of, of love for one another and power and truth that doesn't matter what kind of cults or emperor worship there is out there. When they see Jesus in the church, they will bow their knees to Him. His love is irresistible. His power is irresistible. His glory is irresistible. But we are the ones who are meant to carry that into this world. He's the one that guarantees the victory for the church. That victory is out there. That's out there for you and I. 
And all the, these letters, they're, they're just that. What he's saying to them, he's saying, fix this, fix that, fix this, fix that. Why? So that you will shine. So that you will shine. Once again, we talk about being a triumphant church. This is an invitation, even to you and I, to us as a church, to be a triumphant church. I really believe that. And all of this admonition is for that purpose. Let's just follow him. Let's just follow him. Let's just allow the high priest of our confession, our high priest, King Jesus, the one who rules and reigns, the one to whom the church has been given. We are under his power, under his authority. He rules and he reigns. Let's listen. Let's have ears to hear so that we will hear what his spirit is saying to the church. He wants to govern us. He wants to govern us through the leadership of the church, through the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. He holds all authority in his hands. The authority of the church he holds in his hands. And he's walking amongst us. He's walking amongst the lampstands. He's looking, he's looking at Melbourne life. He's looking at Jakarta life. He's looking at the different churches. And he's trying to speak to us and get our attention. He said, come on, guys, this is what I need. This is, I'm going to address this in you, but you know what? If you'll listen to me, if you'll hear what I'm saying, this is an invitation to overcome. This is an invitation to be victorious. This is an invitation to remain, not just my lampstand in the city, but to, brine, to shine so brightly that the world will be attracted to the light that is in you. Wow, what a promise. So let's just sing this. We're going to sing, Jesus, it is you. I want you to recommit your heart. Just say, Jesus, I want to be like that. I want to be so sold out to you. I want to be someone who allows you to do the work that is necessary. Correct me. I know you love me, so correct me. Keep me in line with your truth. Man, I know I need it. I'm too busy letting him do it to me to focus on how much he needs it how much he might need to do it to anyone else. But you know, I want it and I welcome it because I want to be alive for him and I want him to use me. I want to be, I want to be a vessel of honour in his house, a vessel of gold. That's what I long to be, a vessel of gold in his house. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that you are the high priest. You are doing your job, Lord Jesus. Even today, you haven't stopped. Your eye is upon us. You are passionately watching over your people. You are watching over your church because you want to protect us from what is coming, Lord, from whatever is out there. So, Father, even in the midst of calamity in the world, you will increase our understanding and our perspective of who you are. Jesus, come and help us to see you in a greater dimension. Just as you revealed yourself to John, he didn't even recognize you in that state. He didn't even recognize you in that glorified state. And yet, Jesus, you had been like that since, since the beginning of the world. You were just revealing yourself. Lord Jesus, I pray even now you would reveal yourself to our hearts. For everyone who's watching today or listening to this, Father, we pray that you would come and reveal yourself. Reveal yourself in a greater way so that we can follow you, so that we can be alive wherever we are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.